Hello, adventurers. I want to take a moment to tell you that all our content can now be found uninterrupted and commercial-free on Apollo Plus. Apollo Plus is a subscription-based service that enhances your audio fiction experience with ad-free access to your favorite shows and exclusive content, while at the same time supporting us all as creators to keep bringing you quality content. Please take a moment to check out Apollo Plus at apollopods.com or download the app in your Google or Apple app stores. Again, that's Apollo Plus, your new home for quality audio fiction. Do gonna have some chicken nuggets, delicious chicken nuggets. Do, do, do. Oh, oh, God. oh, uh, uh, um, but okay, let's do this. That, um, that, oh no, no, that that's bad. Oh, that's that's real bad. Uh, hey, Harlan, um, can, can, can you take over for a minute? I got a problem here in the kitchen. What? Oh, no. Yeah, thanks, man. No. Oh, God. Uh, hey, everyone. Uh, okay. Um, hey, everyone. I'm Harlan Guthrie. Uh, I'm an actor, editor, writer, sound effects guy, all-around audio person. I make a show called Malevolent. It's a horror audio drama about a private eye in the 1930s who loses his sight to a mysterious entity. Uh, you can check it out at malevolent.ca. I also edit and act in an actual play podcast called Dice Shame. It started out as a hilarious romp through Storm King's Thunder by Wizards of the Coast, but it's turned into so much more. It's also DM'd by my lovely wife, Joe, and stars my brother, Alex, my best friends, Rob and Justin. Uh, you can check it out every Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts, or uh, at our website, which is www.diceshamepodcast.com. Uh, Mike, you, you, almost, you almost done back there? Whew. Well, it's not every day you accidentally summon the, uh, our demon of... Mechanically separated chicken. Hey, thanks for doing that. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, your show's awesome. Huge fan of it. Oh, wait. Hey, we better intro the episode. Can, can you jump into character real fast? Sure. Hey, adventurers, my name is Evatar Thalospire, devoted cleric to the judge in stone. <laughs> you probably don't remember me from the end of last season, but it's of no real matter. It makes me happy you're here. This episode was made possible by our supporters and patrons, J.D. Rose, Daniel Nichols, Haley Muniz, Brian Dowling, Storm Cone, and Jolene Frequiz. Join us supporting the show at patreon.com slash theater, or tell the next person you see how they should check it out. As I said, you may remember Keldar's long story from last season and how we all wanted to know how Zoran came to be in charge of Garnet Keep. Seems to be clear after the escape last episode. But now what task does he have in store for us? Dull Dragons, Season 4, Episode 6, The Expedition. Hmm, so that's how Zorin came to be in charge now. Wow, that was a long-winded story. I agree. <laughs> it was maybe a bit more elaborate than needed, Mirak, but I'd rather you all be prepared for what may lay in store. 
Nether Spring is a mysterious place. Not much is known about it. <laughs> it's fine, Keldor. Just giving you some grief is all. After all, we all know Zorin's not actually in charge. <laughs> Thank God I'm not. Sounded to me like it was Sophie. <laughs> Hear that? Well, Keldor, Elaviv, and Alona are the ones that keep this place running. Yes, they do. And they do it well, and we are grateful. But if the question is about our little group, though, Zit. <clears throat> Sorry, I mean, Sophie has always stepped into that role in my eyes, if there is ever one needed. <laughs> family. What are you? Do you have a family? The dining room filled with an uncomfortable silence as seven of them looked at each other. The past few hours we had told our own stories, as requested by Zorin, from after Darkovnia and leading up to this moment. This moment being just yesterday when Sophie, Isanatha, and Zorin had returned. Alone. Now it was only out of courtesy that Zorin was looking for their stories as well. After all, I knew them only as volunteers, both for our reclaiming of Garnet Keep months ago, but also for this quite harrowing and daunting task. Time had passed, our supper time now, and once filled bowls stacked on the table still smelling of the sage and pepper that dressed the really good ham. <laughs> but Zorin's question lingered in the uncomfortable silence now. They all looked at each other in a way that made him wish he hadn't said that. <laughs> what good is a family when it just leaves a hole in your heart. One of two brothers sat next to each other. One was an elf, but the one speaking was a human. There was something familiar about the blonde elf, but I couldn't place it, as he gently put a hand on his brother's shoulder. Across from them sat Mirak and Eddie. He was a six-foot man, deeply tanned, dark-eyed, with long, dark hair and she was easily half a decade younger than him. Long, curly blonde hair and deep blue eyes. I remember thinking they were sad eyes, eyes that kept some dark secret. They were rarely seen outside of each other's company. She was unsettled by Virian's outburst. No matter his intention, her eyes trembled slightly. It's okay, Eddie. Really? But your family is right next to you, Virian. A tall, young half-orc and gold armor named Zev spoke up. His olive-green skin was more unique now that the orc tribe that was here before had been run off. And it must be noted that his help was instrumental in both taking the keep and helping to heal and tend the wounded. A talented cleric of the hag, though different, wasn't something that was considered evil to me. She represented the elements themselves, those neutral building blocks of everything and everyone. He doesn't mean it, really. He's just been- Oh, shut up, Reinald. This is... I'm going for a walk. Virian's brother, Reinald, was stunned as his brother stormed out the door and down the hall. He's been really struggling since my sister's death. His wife. He blames everything and later feels bad about it. To answer your question, yes, I hail from my people in the Silver Maple Woods. There I have family, but 
Now I'm taking care of him. At least for the time being. We came here to try and see if we could start again with so many others trying to do the same. I'm... Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, don't be. We are happy to be here, trust me. And now that my true brother has returned home, it's his turn to take care of our immediate family's needs. That's nice of him. Oh, you don't know my brother. He isn't... nice. I've spent most of my time traveling around playing this old loot for coin where I could, met everyone in the Silver Maple Woods for sure, and most of Bell's, partially so I wouldn't have to spend time with him when he came around. My sister, on the other hand, well, her grace was unparalleled in all the forest. What about you, Zev? I love my family, though I haven't seen them in a long time. <sighs> my tale is longer than my relatively short life would reveal, though. <laughs> we met when you were a sailor. How did that become your work? My story begins just south of the town of Whitford, in a small apothecary shop. My mother's shop. She sold tinctures and balms to help heal and strengthen those who purchased them, as well as collecting their components from the nearby woods. She told me it wasn't easy since she was born without sight, but my mother was far from being hindered by it. She could see more by listening than you and I can see with our eyes. She could sense past the words to someone's true intention. She could tell the difference between a scared and angry threatening creature. One day, many years ago, two visitors came and one was very sick. The other asked her in a rough but pleading voice, if she could heal his brother's fever, as he was on death's door. She agreed and set him up in her small guest bed. She could tell he was larger than the bed, but he didn't complain. She cared for him night and day, spooning a thin broth made from salty chicken with local mushrooms and savory green herbs, which was her speciality. <laughs> I remember it fondly myself as a young lad. Eventually one day he became better. He also grew to love my mother and she him. He was a kind man and had an elegant way of speaking. She told me he had short tusks that came up from his jaw, like mine. He was embarrassed, claiming it meant he was weaker in the eyes of his tribe, but my mother loved him regardless. And so he stayed and helped my mother gather her herbs and even taught her the orc names for them. Months later, my mother was with child. They were very happy, but his brother was not. The orcs called my coming an abomination, and they threatened to kill all three of us, even with me not yet born to this world. My father devised a plan and left. My mother and I moved north, just to the south of the Silver Maple Woods, along the eastern coast. It was here I grew up never knowing my father, but I honored him. I knew I'd never find happiness with the orcs or man, but the sea always called to me, the way she ebbed and flowed like the gentle wave of a close friend in greeting. I would spend hours early in the morning watching the surf on the sandy beach as the sun rose in the eastern sky. This was the day, the day I was given a chance by Captain Bugle of the Southern Star to come aboard as a deckhand. 
I said goodbye to my mother the next day, and I sailed off with him out of Whitford. I served with him over three summers, coming home periodically to see my mother, whom I loved dearly. I took to the duties aboard ship naturally, grew to be welcome and trusted for many positions about the merchant ship. In the storms, I found a strange sanctuary, and talking with some of the older crew, they taught me about the hag, the four elements themselves, and her four bastard children, lightning, magma, mud, and steam. I learned that the chaos of the elements still followed the great laws of the universe like the reeling of a ship on the waves of an angry sea. I learned that, in some ways, we all are her bastard children. Sometimes angry or sad, but it's in those peaceful times we find our true selves. Well, now I had a new love of faith. I had found myself a purpose. I didn't have to run from my anger. I now could accept it, use it, and move past it. This was even more freeing than my journey aboard the Southern Star. I had made up my mind that it was time to set out in a new adventure when next we returned to the new country. But we had just landed in first port. It was here I met Mirak and Eddie, who were starting again to believe. So they came aboard, and we sailed back to Bells. Here we heard about the mustering of an army to take back Garnet, keep from a tribe of orcs and bandits. This, this seemed like a worthy cause to fight in. Mirak and Eddie came with me. Eddie, go up to the tavern and treat yourself to some of that sweet cake you liked. Use this. Got it today splitting wood with Deacon. I'll... I'll be there after this. She nodded and smiled at him, leaving the room in a happy jog. Her long cream-colored dress waved in the trail behind her down the long hall. Once she was out of earshot... Mirak. About Eddie. She doesn't say much, does she? She... she can't. She... can't speak? No. Hasn't in the past few years. Zev did pick us up, but... not in first port. Eddie and I come from the Emerald Atoll. A small island off the coast of Viridian. Up until now, it was more than an island. At least to us. It was everything we knew. We rarely saw outsiders in our village. And when we did, they were usually elves trading from the mainland for our fish, dyes, and oils that came from the rich, shallow ocean there. <laughs> Come on, Narak. I'll race you to the wharf. <laughs> Don't let me beat you. Hmm. Pike. He was Eddie's brother. We were being raised together by the tribe after our parents were lost at sea many years ago. Yes, we were three orphans, but we were happy. Our community was tight-knit and provided for each other with gratitude. Pike and I were helping to repair the nets and occasionally diving for clams in the harbor as we could hold our breath almost a full five minutes. Eddie was only twelve when, when the dark ships came. Clouds seemed to follow them in. But that could just be my memory. Huge galleons with dark sails, a crimson skull and dragon heads painted on the largest. 
A dark man approached our elder. She looked at him, leaning on her shaman staff, the feathers of seabirds gently swaying in the wind. Unlike her proud stance, I... I don't know what was said, but the man raised a single white claw-like hand and green bolts of energy ripped into her frail body under her hooded robes of coarse wool, and thus began our waking nightmare. Yeah! Run! Pike and I were hiding behind some crates when they struck. Our village fought bravely against what we believed were men, until I saw they were once men. Rows of shambling dead were killing our friends and family with rusted weapons and empty eyes. We darted between our palm frond-topped houses and buildings, the rough, water-worn wood tearing into our arms as we brushed against them. When we found Eddie, she was kneeling in the center of a shallow pool of mud, eyes wide in terror. Circling around her trembling body were six wispy blue and white translucent forms, ghosts or banshees. I knew not then, but their mouths peeled back revealing sharp broken teeth and inky tendrils of smoke came from their eyes. Wait, wait. No. No. Eddie saw us. Eddie's chest heaved, her lips trembling behind her muddy face. Her chapped lips cracked and tore as her mouth ripped open in a scream. A scream I will never forget. The spirits circled more earnestly as if they were living off this terrified child. Suddenly, Eddie threw her arms out and a shockwave erupted from her. and all went silent. They were gone. Eddie had collapsed in the mud. I, I ran to her and, scooping her up, the three of us ran to the boathouse at the edge of town and, hiding behind the barrels of fish, we continued to hear the massacre of our people. They killed all of them over the next few days. They asked for our allegiance, and when it wasn't met, they killed us. We watched them tie our people to boulders six at a time, wrapped around them. Then a dragon would drop into our shallow harbor. Shallow or not, it proved to be enough. Once they thought all were gone, they left us. We were alone. When the food supplies we could find finally dried up, we worked together to salvage what we could from the sea. Our haunted sea, I thought. And many times, I'd find Eddie just looking out across it, silent now, her voice completely lost to that horrible memory. A year passed slowly when I met up with Pike to look at a project he was working on. He had begun lashing three small boats together in a triangle. <laughs> in this boat, we can leave. We can travel away and start again, Marak. It will be strong enough to get us north to first port in the heavy waves. You and I and Eddie. <laughs> oh, my friend, we will soon be free of all of this. And Eddie, Eddie can find her voice again. 
<laughs> we worked on the boat night and day for weeks. Then, Pike became ill. Taking a fever, he died. We wrapped him in the blue blankets reserved for the heroes of our people and loaded his body onto the boat. He would escape with us, just like he planned. We sailed out past the harbor and Eddie curled up next to me. For the first time ever, I saw her relax and allow herself to dream. We were picked up by the Southern Star while we were drifting. Zev brought us aboard, and you know the rest. And what about Pike's body? We are children of the sea. I watched his body and his boat that brought us our freedom carry him off to the next life. We sat there with nothing more than the soft fire crackling in the fireplace, for what felt like an eternity. The story sharing had been a lot for us to take in, and now the silence was welcome. Well, for a moment. What about you, Isenitha? Oh, I've uh, traveled a lot, uh, odd jobs, that sort of thing. So, uh, the five of us then. Is that all that we'll be leaving in the morning? Yes. The rest must stay here to prepare for the assault on Garnet Keep. With Benedict gone... I... I mean absent. Currently. We'll need all hands available to make ready. You five volunteers will set off to ride north across the Great Glen Valley. Past the Celestine Tower. And to the edge of the Shattered Lands. There a grim monument stands. Legend has it it was one of the last of the great giants from 2,000 years ago, before they were lost to time. As they all left, Zorin grabbed Reinald for a moment. Yes, Zorin? Isanatha. You ever met her before? N no, this is the first time we have met. Oh, uh, no reason. Just curious. Well, sleep well. Long day tomorrow. Yes, you too. As he left, I too became curious. Zorin, what was that about? Something is bothering me about how Eisenatha knew so much about Inrook and was magically the only one to return from her party. No Cordelia, Una, Lorvana. Sophie and Scottmere somehow ended up in the arena, and they can't explain it either. But one thing is coming to light, though. What's that? Keldor. She's not from the Silver Maple Woods. This is the journal and recording of Zevatar Fallowspire, cleric of the elements and member of this expedition to the Nether Spring. Though the travel across the Great Glen Valley by horseback these last 17 days was largely uneventful, it was breathtakingly beautiful. Rolling hills as far as the eye could see covered in a blanket of kelly green grasses and sprinkled with delicate meadow flowers the colors of sunrises. The sunrises back home. Four days ago we passed through the Whispering Mountains, and if any stories are true, it is that these mountains possess a strong, old magic. At night, we could feel ourselves being watched. Not menacing, though. Just being observed from the inky shadows. Mirak was unnerved and couldn't wait to get out. The final night, we were sitting around the campfire. 
These woods have ears we cannot see. That is certain. I'll help again with the first two watches. I won't be able to sleep anyways until we are out of it. Are we there yet? Really? Well, right now we are camping. Yeah, I know, but... I'd appreciate you just answering the question. We should be there soon. It will be impossible to miss. Given this pass in the mountains is the only way north, we will press on in the morning. Right, Zev? Yes. Yes, we should be there by midday if we get a good start in the morning, looking at the map. The morning came without any further events of note, just the dim sunrise from the flat eastern horizon. I assume this was the vast and distant Thunder Lake, 16 or so leagues away on the map, the largest lake in the world. Almost its own small sea was tucked away here in the lost and forgotten north of the new country. We continued our travel north, and as expected, midday rose, but the sun was hidden behind some dark storm clouds forming in the sky. An afternoon thunderstorm no doubt was common at these cooler latitudes, but I must be honest, I only note the weather from my memory as the next events will perplex and haunt me till the end of my days. Coming out of the forest, into a large basin we saw it. Rising out of the ground was a skull, mouth agape, as if shouting at the sky above that its empty socket stared at. Time had hayed the skull part of the landscape to be sure, the foliage and greenery blending it into the landscape. If it weren't a small mountain at 70 feet high from the base to the grass and moss-covered brow, I would have thought it to be human. Behold, the nether spring. Is this... were they... Giants? Yes. This is what remains of one of the ancient race, before the fall of the stone. I know the giants still exist, though now driven under the waves. Or further north. In the old country, giants rule and trade there, though I've never seen one this big. What was that? I'm not waiting to find out. Run to the stairs! We ran to the worn and old wooden stairs that wound up the throat and jaw of the hill. They creaked and cracked under the newfound weight of all of us. Looking behind, the storm clouds were descending, and the grey-green mist was pouring out of the woods towards us. Virian grabbed the latch of the door, expecting it to be locked, and had a lockpick ready poised in his hand. When it swung open, he looked back at us, shocked. This... This can't be good. Quickly! Inside the door! Mirak and I shoved the door shut behind us. We expected the wave of mist and cloud to slam into it. But it never came. What the... Uh... Is this... Where are we? Slowly, Mirak and I looked at each other. Eyes wide in disbelief. We had our hands on the door. I... I swear to you, we had our hands on the door. I felt it as we turned to stare down a barren and empty dirt road. The sky was overcast and the woods surrounding us seemed dark and menacing. In the far distance, we could see the towers of some citadel or castle perched on an outcropping like a large black bird. We turned back, 
and there was no mist, no howling wind of the storm, and there was no door. In this episode, Zev, Harlan Guthrie, Mirak, Heath Martin, Reinald, Tyler Cauldron, Virian, Patrick Mendelson, Isonatha, Haley Munoz, Pike, Sam Weigel, Zev's mother, Jin Walker, Zorin, Cody Miller, Keldor, Mike Ashley. Hey, thank you for joining us in this episode of Dice Tower Theater's Dawn of Dragons. Please join us in thanking our magnificent cast for their performance, and their full list can be found in the show notes. If you'd like a sticker from the show, please leave us a review on any podcasting platform and send a screenshot to dm at dicetowertheater.com with a mailing address so we can send it to you. In the next episode, what's become of the other escapees from beneath the volcanic fires of Enruk? Who were those prisoners they rescued? Until then, fellow adventurers, stay safe and remember the oath 